you'll turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, right before Matthew. We're going to read our text, Malachi 3, and the first five, five verses of that chapter. Malachi 3, 1 through 5. Let's stand together as we read these words from the word of God to the nation of Israel and to us here today. Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. You may be seated. Let's take a few moments and just uh, look at that text and meditate on God's word. It is good to sit in silence just a few moments before any of us speaks. And we start thinking about our text in light of our lives. It's good to just sit in silence, isn't it? To just think about the scriptures. Um, For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is David Heinrichs. I'm a a pastor here at Christ Community. I usually run with the teens, uh, with the music team up here and in other places as well. I'm very excited to be here again to speak. The the passage is obviously in Malachi. The sermon title is called, The Lord is Coming. Uh, The King is Coming. And today, Palm Sunday, you can see up on the front table, there's, there's palm branches here. Today is Palm Sunday. This is the day of glory. And I don't mean it's the day of glory just because the rain washed away the pollen, which is in and of itself a glorious thing. Thank you, Lord, for the rain. Uh, and hopefully it's all knocked out of the trees and, and out of our system, hopefully entirely. Um, but it is a day of glory because on this day, on Palm Sunday, we look back and remember the day which we call the triumphal entry when Jesus came on a donkey with cloaks on the ground and palm branches being waved by the crowd, shouting to the Lord, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As as people were shouting, they saw their king, their Messiah coming into Israel. And they had great hope and great expectations. Uh, And as we make our way through Malachi, you'll see this great day. The connection is not something that I'm stretching between Malachi and, and Palm Sunday. It's a very natural connection between the two. And you'll see that as, as we move forward. Uh, I'm going to show you a graphic timeline up on the screen. And as you make your way out this morning, you can grab one uh, on the table. 
as you, uh, in the lobby, as you head out, you can grab one. It's very helpful just to see the history of Israel in a graphic way. I'm a, I'm a, a visual learner, and so this is very helpful for me personally. And those of you might relate to that. You can see where we've been. And the theme of the Old Testament seems, there's many themes you could say, but one theme that comes out, that really comes out here in Malachi, is this glory of God. The greatness, the greatness of God. And the greatness of God is not to be shared. And you see that theme all through the Old Testament. God will not share his greatness with anyone. And we can see that as we look at the timeline, as we move through the very beginning at Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were created, what did they do? They took for themselves the glory, the power that only God should have to decide for themselves what right and wrong is. And so making their own morality, they took God's greatness. But what happened? They died. They were exiled out of the Garden of Eden. Remember the Tower of Babel back in Genesis when Paul preached on that sermon? It was great. It was, it was a good understanding of people trying to make a name for themselves and steal the greatness of God away from God and to themselves. And what happened? The languages were confused. The tower was left undone. You remember that? And they were exiled. They were scattered because their languages were so different. And right before the flood, you remember this. Every, every person was sinful all the time. <laughs> no fear of God at all. Everybody was trying to be great like God. And what did God do? He came in the form of a flood and killed everyone and everything. And the promises came to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then through Moses, they went to Egypt after, after Joseph led them down there. Now it's Moses. And remember what the Pharaoh did. Pharaoh claimed he was God himself. What happened to him? His army was destroyed and his son was killed. And then you see the, the setup of the kings. After all the judges, right? The first king, Saul, and then David, and then Solomon. And through there, you see a, a, many of the kings, even after Solomon, who tried to take God's greatness away from him, serving other gods, maybe giving God's greatness to another god or taking it for themselves. And what happened to the kingdom? And you can see right there, this huge kingdom split. Northern and southern, it breaks apart. Civil war happens. And the nation is completely broken apart. And eventually, other nations come and sack and destroy Israel. Both the northern and the southern kingdoms. And everything goes down. First Israel, and then the southern kingdom of Judah. And everybody's exiled. This is a pattern in the Old Testament. When people take God's greatness for themselves, whether individually or collectively, God judges. He comes in wrath. Things happen where things are broken and destroyed and nations split. And then, and then usually exile happens. And then last week, Daniel. Remember Daniel. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? He tried to take God's glory for himself. And what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He became a wild animal. God took his sanity away to show them that he is not great like God. So God will not share his greatness with anyone. And then losing everything. Exile. Well, Assyria and Babylon are now no more. They're destroyed. They're, they're pushed off. 
and the Medo-Persians come in. And this is where we find ourselves now. And there's a gracious leader named Cyrus. And he lets, under Ezra and Nehemiah, some of the, the Israelites come back to Jerusalem. And through their leadership, they build the temple again that was destroyed. And they build the temple. And then they build the city wall. And everything's starting to improve. And you can see that's kind of where we are right here in Malachi. Malachi is the last voice that Israel hears before Palm Sunday. The last voice that Israel hears as a prophet before Palm Sunday. And in our text, Malachi 3, it says, I send a messenger to you. And so this messenger is John the Baptist. And remember, he calls people to repent. And then the king comes. And this is, this is, this is the trajectory of what we're doing here. So God will not share his glory with anyone. And you can, you can see the temple's built, the city wall is built, and the people of God are just waiting for God to show up. When is God going to come? When is the God of glory, the greatness of God, going to show up here at this temple? And the people of Israel just waiting. I remember when I was dating Shelly, and I remember, and I found out, I discovered Shelly was the one for me. That moment, I was like, this is it. She's, she's going to be my wife. And my dad made an engagement ring of medals and jewels from all around the, uh, the different members of the family. He was an amateur jeweler. And he, he put this ring together, put it on her, her finger, and we made plans. And she said yes. And everything was great. We were looking forward to it. But two things about my engagement was hard. Number one, enga- my engagement was hard because I knew that at my wedding, my whole life would change. My finances, my career, my, my whole life would change. And many of you think the same thing about your marriage. You see back in your marriage, when that wedding happened, you were a completely different person with a completely different life. Even your friends change. Some of us even move to new cities when we get married. Our marriage is a great change. And that's what the Israelites were waiting for. They were waiting for this great change. When is this going to happen? And, I, and I, as I anticipated my wedding, I felt probably like the Israelites waiting for their king to come and change everything. But there's another reason why my engagement was particularly difficult. It was because it was long. Shelly and I decided to get married a year and a half out. <laughs> so we waited over a year to get married. And we were already thinking our, our finances were together. We are thinking as a unit there. We were thinking together about my job and her job and where we were going to live and what we were going to do. We were already sort of a, a unit thinking as one. But we waited over a year and it was so painful. You can imagine the last two months of my engagement. Some of you remember those last two months. It's, just, it's so hard to wait and we want to do a lope so many times and just, you know, go, go to Myrtle Beach or Las Vegas or just get married somewhere quickly so, so we can just move into this relationship. The waiting is hard and that's where Israel is, except they're not waiting one year, are they? They're waiting 400 years between Malachi and when Jesus comes is 400 years. Now, if you think about 400 years, put this in perspective. If you go back 400 years from now, that's about the time of the Reformation, give or take. So Christ Community Church has been waiting since the Reformation for something. That's a long, long time to be waiting. So Israel, when Jesus came on Palm Sunday, on that triumphal entry, it erupted. 
I mean, it was, there was so much energy and anticipation and hope that this king would come and change everything. And man, haven't we waited? Haven't we waited a long, long time? Well, Zechariah 9 says, the coming of Zion's king. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, riding on a donkey. So the Lord is coming. Now, in my wedding, in my marriage, things worked out, right? I've been married for uh, long over 20 years now. And uh, I mean, it's been 100% bliss all the time. It's worked out perfectly for me. Um, well, while they may not be 100% true, things didn't work out at all for Israel, did it? It would be like me standing at the front waiting for my bride to walk down the aisle and I just, I don't even recognize her. I don't even know she's my bride. Think about the triumphal entry. In a week's time, Jesus is dead. By the hands of the people waving the palm branches. What happened? I mean, That doesn't sound like everything worked out at all. Well, Malachi writes his book to these people waiting for the king to come back to his temple. And he's trying to set them up correctly. And he realizes that they've got a completely wrong vision of what's going to happen when God comes to his temple. Their vision is impaired. And so that's what we're going to look at today. What Malachi says about the wrong vision that Israel had, leaders and the crowd. And you and I can take what Malachi says today, can't we? And we can help our vision. We can help correct our vision of the greatness of God. So let's move into the bad vision that they had. This is what Israel thought on Palm Sunday, on that triumphal entry. This is what Israel thought when Jesus was coming on a donkey, okay? If you remember back a couple sermons ago, Paul said this was the peak of the Israelite history. Second Chronicles 7, 1, where it says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Remember what Sam said in his sermon, all these Solomon things that were going on, the gold and all the beautiful palace and the temple, everything's beautiful, right? This is the most wealthy, most famous moment in Israel's history. And and people came from all over the world, all over the earth, all the kings. And Queen of Sheba is even mentioned by name. And they come to Israel to see this great man called Solomon in all of his splendor and glory. And, and anyways, uh, Queen Sheba is pretty impressed by this. And I, I want to read uh, from First uh, Kings ten, and this is verse twenty three. It says. Thus, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind, which God had put into his mind that God was the source of all that wisdom. God was the source of all that wealth. God was the source. But but the people of Israel during Malachi's time had completely forgot the God part. You see, they wanted to be great. They wanted God's greatness to make them great. That's what they were about. Jesus on a donkey, they're gonna, he's gonna save us. He's gonna give us food. He's gonna give us living water. He's gonna save us from Rome. He's our Messiah who's gonna give us freedom politically, physically, right? 
God's going to come back to us. We're going back to Solomon. That's what they thought. And instead, Malachi says, you've, you've totally missed. Your vision is wrong. You've missed it. That's not how the greatness is going to come. In the first chapter of Malachi, we read, first chapter, verse 11. You might turn back there if you want. There's a few verses here. It says, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, rising of the sun to its setting, that means all the time, my name will be great. Do you hear, you hear that in God? He's, I want you to yearn after and be excited for my name being great. That's what I want. But what happened? They didn't think that. Verse 11 goes on, and it's not just that my name will be great in Israel. It says later on in verse 11, it says, my name will be great among the nations. And listen to these words. In every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations. So, so God's greatness is not just confined to the temple in Jerusalem. And that's all. That's everything that was on their minds. God, come back and make, make us great again. Your greatness, come fill the temple. Make us a, go back to Solomon. And, and yet, if you were to sit down with the Israelite leaders and say, okay, what's your plan for God's name to be great among the nations? They, they wouldn't have had a plan for that. They would have thought something like, well, we're going to be super awesome and super wealthy and super famous. And then kings will come and visit us and say, you're awesome, you're great, you're famous. But it's really the focus is on Israel, not on God. That's the correction that Malachi is attempting to make here. My name will be great among the nations. Well, there's a couple of reasons why Israel had this wrong vision, why they couldn't quite see things correctly of God's greatness. Uh, Malachi mentions a few sins, but we're going to highlight two of them, two of the main sins that were committed in the nation of Israel. Now, let's see if, if we have the same kinds of sins in our group as well, same kinds of, of sins. One, he mentions sinful leaders. And the other, he mentions sinful parents, sinful leaders, sinful parents. In both of these cases, you can see what's going to happen. The next generation is not going to have the correct vision. They're going to be led astray, and that's exactly what happens. Look at Malachi 1, uh, and this is verse uh, 6. It says, O priests, the leaders of Israel, O priests, who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? And God says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Verse 8, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? Now, we can look at them and say, oh, that's bad. That's a sin to disobey the law, which the law states you must have a perfect lamb to sacrifice. So you, pay, you bring a sick or a, a lame or a blind lamb, that's wrong. But you've got to go beyond that a little bit. Do you see this? This is sin upon sin. <laughs> Think about it for a second. What are the leaders doing here? Here's what's happening. Israel is sinning. 
They're lying. They're cheating. They're doing normal sins that all of us do. They're just like us. We're just sinful people, right? And what does God do? He comes in judgment, right? He comes in wrath and he comes in condemnation and a consuming fire of destruction. But God doesn't leave them there. He says, for you, Israel, I will make a plan, a sacrificial system that if you follow this sacrificial system, your sins will be forgiven. So take a perfect spotless lamb, take your imperfections, lay them symbolically on this perfect spotless lamb, and then my judgment and wrath and condemnation will destroy the lamb and not you. And that's what the the leaders were messing around with. They're not taking their sin seriously. They're making light of sin. Leaders who, who make light of sin, that's what's going on in Malachi. And God is not great anymore. God is not perfect. God is not holy. The idea of the sacrificial lamb points to Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God, who takes away not only the sins of Israel, but the whole world. Do you see that? So when you bring a, lo- a lame lamb, see who your, your, your repu- whose reputation you're hurting is Jesus Christ. The lamb points to Jesus. If it's lame, it's, it's, if it's no good, if it's, worth, if it's second best, it's just a throwaway lamb anyways. See, people who don't take, take real, take seriously their sin, they can't see God's greatness. You can't see God's greatness if you don't take your sin seriously, if you don't see your sin. We sang a song, Washed in His Blood. Now, I know, I sang it with you. Washed in His Blood. Da, 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 da. We sang on, and it was just like, hmm. how many times have I sang that line? Washed in His... Think about it. You have a pool of human blood. You get into the human blood and you wash. That's gross. I mean, that's just that image is like, I don't want to sing that. (laughs) I don't even want to think about it. But we have to keep this ever present. We have a cross right front and center right here. It reminds us of our sin, lest we take our sins seriously. God says in Malachi 1.10, he says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. In other words, your sins will not be forgiven because you don't take your sins seriously enough. Well, that's bad leaders. What do the bad leaders become on the triumphal entry, the, the Palm Sunday experience? Who don't take sins seriously, who don't see their sin seriously. Can you see the Pharisees, the proud Pharisees, the whitewashed tombs, as Jesus calls them, right? Whitewashed, pretty on the outside, but death and destruction and sin on the inside. They don't, they hide their sin. They don't, they don't really take it serious. That's why Jesus dying on the cross doesn't compute, doesn't make sense. Their vision of greatness is completely skewed. Now, the second sin is the bad parents. Now, if you read through Malachi, you'll see verses like 2.14. And 2.14 says, The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. Sounds like we're talking about marriages, right? Though she is the companion and your wife by covenant. This is the book where God says, I hate divorce. 
So it sounds like we're talking about marriages, but it's really not. It's really talking about parents. And the reason I say that is because of chapter 2, verse 11. If you look down there, you'll see, for Judah has profaned, Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. And then later on in 14, the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion. And I'm now looking for the verse. Sorry, that was not it. Ah, there it is. You see it there. Thank you. 15. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? In all of this divorce and marriage problems, what is the one God seeking? And that is two words, godly offspring. Parents who have healthy marriages, who have marriages that are both spouses serving the Lord have a great message for their kids to pass on the, the truth of the God and the law of God to their kids. And if, if the marriages break down in some way, then the offspring can, cannot possibly be godly, cannot have a godly perspective. And so what happens to this ungodly offspring? Who do they become on this triumphal entry experience of Palm Sunday? Well, we've got the bad leaders who become Pharisees. Now we've got the crowd, the, the average Israelite, becoming the crowd that is there on Palm Sunday, waving their palm branches. You can see that their sin was not taken seriously, and they want everything for themselves. They're basically spoiled brats. That's, that's what you have. I want the food that Jesus gave. I, I want the healing that Jesus gave. I want the glory of Solomon. These are the people. And when they figure out that Jesus isn't going to deliver those things, they reject Jesus and they shout for his crucifixion. See how bad vision leads to these sins and it just keeps down the generations. And Malachi is saying, stop. Everybody stop. Leaders, take your sins seriously. Parents, parents, look to the next generation and teach them to be godly. And in this moment, in John 11, when the triumphal entry happens, all the way to the end of John 21, all the way to the end when, when Christ dies and what we're going to think about on Monday, Thursday, right before their eyes, as they totally miss it, as they totally turn a blind eye, the perfect and spotless lamb of God is sacrificed for the sins of the entire world. This is where God's greatness can be most clearly seen. The, the Mount of Sinai is great. The Solomon Temple is great. The palace is great. All of those are great. But all of those just talk about God's holiness. What about God's love and grace and mercy? You see that in the sacrificial system, which ends up being the cross of Jesus, where justice and mercy come together in one place. That's great. And that's not my greatness. That's in spite of my greatness to purify my lack of greatness in spite of my sin. And, and, and the cross is where the greatness really happens. So the solution is this refining fire that we read about in Malachi 3, this refining fire. OK, but there's another fire I want to mention just before we get into the refining fire. Malachi really talks about two fires. One is a consuming fire. You read about that in Malachi 4. If you could turn to Malachi 4, the first verse says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. 
burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and all the evil doers will become stubble. So all of these sinful people will burn and become stubble. The day is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. This is a consuming fire. This is what happens if you miss it completely and you, your sins are not forgiven. If you take your sins lightly and hide them and you become spoiled and you want things, your own greatness, things for yourself, you miss it and you will be consumed by your own sin in a consuming fire. No hope, no escape, absolute destruction. But there's another fire and it's a different fire in Malachi 3. It says, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. You see, there's a way for us to be refined. And this is the image of gold and then all the other things around the impurities of, of this chunk. And, and the fire comes and burns the dross away and then you have pure gold. It's just like the fuller's soap. You have wool that's all impure and messy. And you take it to the fuller. He scours it with his soap. The impurities are, are, are washed away. And you have pure wool. It's the same idea. So we're talking about refining us. We're talking about purity. And if you think about purity, here's, here's what you should think about. You should think about God's greatness. And God's greatness alone. But here's the problem. When we think about the glory of God, the goodness of God, we get distracted so many times. We look around our life and we see things in our life that look good. We do have some measure of goodness. I mean, I guess we can stand up and make a good speech or we can look pretty or handsome. There's some measure of goodness in the world. It's not completely gone, right? We can, you can look around at nature and see, well, that's beautiful. Look at that. Music is beautiful. Our children, my child, oh, they're beautiful. My friendships with people, that's a beautiful thing. Love is beautiful. You know, this, all these things were surrounded by beauty. But purity says, focus on God. So that creates a problem in our mind. And this is the problem that I struggled with. Well, how do I get through this, right? I mean, literally, do I look at God and forget everything else? Just pretend like it doesn't exist. It's kind of like the analogy of a kid with chips and crackers in his hands. And he's eating and he's pretty happy with his chips and his crackers. And he comes up to the table and he looks and there's a, there's a big slice of chocolate cake right there on the table. And, he, and when he realizes that chocolate cake is for him, what does he do with his chips and crackers? He drops them. And he heads straight for the, his piece of chocolate cake. And, and that might be the way you feel about your life. When you encounter the glory of God, the greatness of God, the beauty of God, everything in your life, you just, you want to be like completely in a monastery as a monk might be and forsake the world and shun the world and, right? But that's not quite right. That doesn't seem like what Daniel did in Babylon. He was in the world, but not of the world. And it's not like he wasn't a part of society. So, so how do I think about this? How do I juggle between God's greatness and the goodness I see on earth. That's the question I'm trying to raise here. And when I read Jesus' words on purity, it really made all the difference. Jesus said these words in the Sermon of the Mount. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Purity is about 
seeing. Think about this. The analogy of dropping the chips and the crackers to get the chocolate cake is somewhat helpful. But think about this. Let's say we're all in a movie theater. And we're all sitting in seats just like this. And the screen is up here. We're all facing the screen. Now, nobody's going to turn around in their seats. Right? Nobody's going to put a blindfold on. We're all going to be facing this direction, looking at the screen. But as, you, as the movie comes on, you realize, I can't quite see things clearly. I'm squinting. And you realize, I'm in a 3D movie. You ever, you ever been there? You know, you're in a movie, you're like, oh, this is weird. I can't quite, things are like, whoa, blurry. And I need something to help me see this clearly. So you go back out and you realize, I forgot to pick up my 3D glasses. There's these cool plastic glasses with the red and the blue, whatever. You put it on, and then the screen comes alive. It actually comes at you, and it's like, whoa, that is great. That screen is awesome. These glasses really translate the screen really well. I can see God's glory clearly. That's like the good things in life. That's like Solomon's temple. That's like the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. They're all 3D glasses. You don't throw them away. You use them correctly. You, you put them on, and through them, you see God's greatness. So look around in your life. Look at the good things in your life. Use them as 3D glasses. Don't use them as chips and crackers. You just discard as second best. They have a purpose. They have a purpose, and their purpose is for you to see God's glory clearly. That's the purpose of those things. Let's think about the Old Testament this way. We see the fall of Adam and Eve, but then we see the promised seed that will come and crush the serpent's head. We see the promise of Abraham for all the nations. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. So we see through these descriptions and stories to see Jesus clearly. We see the ladder to heaven that Jacob saw in his vision. That's Jesus. We see a man named Joseph who was loved by his father, hated by his brothers, rose to the right hand of the Almighty, and then who forgives and saves his brothers. That's Jesus. We see a man named Moses redeem his people from slavery. That's Jesus. We see the true judge who comes like Samson and saves his people from their iniquity and from destruction from the enemy. That's Jesus. We see the true king of Israel who isn't selfish like Saul or distracted like David or Solomon. That's Jesus. We see a man named Daniel who comes into a land not his own and faithfully faces down the mightiest of kings and kingdoms and survives a cave of death. That's Jesus. We see the promises of the prophets that the coming king will be born in Bethlehem, Micah, born a virgin, Isaiah, A messenger like Elijah, that's what Malachi says. And this king would suffer and be lowly, but rise again to defeat all our sin. By his stripes we are healed. That's Jesus. The Old Testament, it's just 3D glasses to put on and see God's greatness. Otherwise, you'll be like the rest of Israel on the triumphal entry. And you'll see a man on a donkey. And it'll be blurry. So put on the Old Testament 3D glasses. The same thing happened when Jesus came, didn't he? When he healed those who were sick, it's a sign of true healing with the Lord. When he fed those with bread, he said, I'm the bread of life. Talk to the Samaritan woman about living water. I'm the living water. 
he keeps pointing to himself. Lazarus, rise, risen up. Jesus rises him. I'm the resurrection. I am the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You see this? All of the miracles. And look in your life. Look at the children you have. Look at the friends you have. Look at the church you have. Look at the songs we sing. They're all pointing to the Savior, Jesus, who is righteous and victorious, but at the same time lowly and suffering for our sake. So we need to put on our 3D glasses. And my prayer is that this church, that we would not take a good thing like the 3D glasses and just put them in our pockets. I have to take this home with me. This is great. Or just hold it in our hands and stare at the 3D glasses as if you came to the movie to get the glasses. You're using the movie to get the glasses. My prayer is that we would all put the glasses on and see what Israel, what Malachi wanted the leaders and the offspring of Israel to see when Jesus came down on that donkey to see God's greatness in 3D. Let's pray. Father God, we pray for our eyes to see. And we know that through your spirit, you can open our eyes and enlighten our hearts and our minds. So God, we pray that as we think through the Old Testament, as we look at Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday, we look at all these symbols and all these stories and all these events, as we look at the good things in life and nature and the beauty that we see in music and art, God, may it all point to your holiness, your goodness, your mercy, your grace. And may we not worship the glasses that let us see, but may we put them on. Help us to see your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.